Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team subscribe to the astros podcast joined by justin verlander getting the ball on opening day steve sparks here and i'm with lance mcculler tons of interviews robert ford joined by michael brantley alex bregman carlos correa returning to the lineup today highlights that is line in the right field and that's gonna get down for a base hit high deep and it's gone a grand slam follow your favorite team Subscribe to the Astros podcast. We definitely love playing in front of our fans in Minute Park. <laughs> For the H. They never said it would be easy. This is the Houston Astros Radio Network. Back to Astropod, the official podcast of the Houston Astros. Well, welcome to another Astropod, Bill Brown and Steve Sparks. And uh, we have a lot to talk about, Sparky. Baseball is just around the corner. Are you getting pumped? I am getting pumped. You know, we got to, a chance to see the players out on the field for the last uh, few days, and that's been exciting. Dusty Baker seems to be in great spirits. And for the most part, you, you watch guys take swings. You watch some of the bullpens. Everybody... Uh, appears to be fresh and ready more than anything. You know, there's a lot of positive talk about how many of the players who are in this Astros summer camp right now, Brownie, that look to be in tip-top shape. Now, I want you to put your analyst cap on uh, because we're starting to get back into that now. It's It was spring training, and you were doing right. this then, but it's been a few months ago, and now it's summer camp. So you, you're going to have to analyze for us what a 60-game season is going to be like for these players. Well, first of all, I'm thinking there needs to be some kind of a drinking game involved for somebody to say the <laughs> word sprint, because that's all I hear about. This is not a marathon this year. This is going to be a sprint. So uh, I, I think we'd be drunk by, by the third day of the season. Um, it's going to be different, you know, and, and there's a lot more urgency to games, and I think managers will manage things with with a, a lot more urgency. And I think that's fun. That's exciting in itself. It, you know, it's it's going to feel like it's a pennant race uh, from the very beginning. And I think that, that the players are talking about it so much and the, the media is talking about how, how crucial it is to get off to a good start. That's going to put pressure on people. And I like it. You know, I, I think teams with more experience and the Astros certainly the last five seasons have a lot of meaningful experience in, in the playoffs. I think they'll be able to handle that pressure early on. All the baseball experts have come out of their cave now, and they're doing their thing again and uh, predicting what's going to happen. And how in the world could anybody do that when we've never had a season like this? But it's interesting for the fans, for all of us, I think, to first of all get our minds back into 
baseball. And secondly, kind of remember who's on these teams that are going to be playing. Yeah, you're right. But then, but then there's the other angle, which I wanted to ask you about, Sparky, and that is the experts are looking at teams that might have benefited the most mm. from not playing ball for a few months. And now with this 60-game dash, and they are, some of the experts anyway, uh, putting the Astros out in front as one of those teams because Justin Verlander, from what we're hearing, is healthy. Right. Uh, then you don't have the innings problem with Lance McCullers Jr. or Jose Urquidy, Great who point. might have been capped on their innings had they had a 162-game season. Maybe They're Granky also uh, – Yeah, Granky too. That's another one. They're also looking at teams like the Yankees, and apparently all of their big names are healthy from what we're reading. So they might be major beneficiaries of not playing. And I've also heard Oakland in that same kind of genre of, okay, here, you know, the, they've got these young pitchers like Jesus Lazardo and AJ Puck, sure. and even Sean Manaya, whose arms may not have been up for. Uh, 150 right. innings, but Frankie they're Montas. not going to have to worry about that. Right. Frankie Montas is another one. So what are your thoughts on that? I think you're talking about the best teams in the league. You know, Oakland won 97 games last year. I, it wouldn't be surprised to, uh, for them to play very well. You know, did they benefit? Yeah, but they were going to be good anyway. Same with the Yankees, same with the Astros. I think the teams that benefit more than anybody in a 60-game season are, are, are the teams that are going to come out of the woodwork you know, we, we saw the Florida Marlins get off to a great start last year. We saw the Seattle Mariners get off to a great start last year, but faded away. And when you play uh, for six months, I, I think usually everything equal or evens out on, on where the real talent lies. But for two months, I, I think there's a lot of teams that are going to be in this equation where, hey, San Diego Padres for two months uh, with all their young talent, you know, it could do a, a lot of uh, good things. You know, you, you get on a, a good run and you start to believe in yourself as a young player and you have talent to begin with. I mean, teams like that, I think, are the biggest beneficiaries. And, and I think also the teams that maybe with, with the lower payrolls. And I think back to another team that I think is wildly underrated. And, and the Astros certainly saw it last year in the playoffs, but the Tampa Bay Rays are a great team, I think. And we started to see players like Willie Adamas and, and players really starting to emerge and, uh, Kind of, kind of evolved into what we can probably expect on a yearly basis. But uh, without the the big payroll, it always seems to be that they have two or three really good frontline starters, and then they just have to figure out a way with their openers to to try to uh, mitigate some sort of, of of a rotation. But in a sixty game season, they can they can manage that very easily with Charlie Morton, Blake Snell, and, and Tyler Glasnow. It seems like uh, they're built for this. Good point. And a couple of the experts on MLB radio were saying that Tampa Bay was a team that would do better over the longer haul because of really? their depth. And so, you know, I mean, we, we understand all these comments, but who knows what in the world might happen this year? This this could be potentially a very crazy 60 games. I mean, who I mean, who's to say the Baltimore Orioles could not get hot for for a month and a half? And then right. make a, a key move at the deadline. I mean, who's to say that can't happen? I think it it will happen. There's one team that nobody's really thinking uh, that that's going to be able to to be a playoff participant. Somebody's going to squeak in there, uh, totally out of the blue. I believe there was an interview with Derek Shelton. He's the new Pittsburgh manager, and 
he was saying that he felt managers would really make a lot of moves. Uh, they would not stay very long with their starting pitchers with all these huge pitching rosters right now. Uh, there was going to be some urgency, some immediacy. And he said, you know, if you're sitting on a four or five game losing streak, that's going to be a lot bigger deal than when you were playing in April and you had 162 games. Yeah, yeah, but a lot more time to make up for it. You know, nobody's really going to pull pull away from the, the pack, I don't think. You know, there's probably going to be two or three teams in, in just about every division uh, in the race, especially as many times as they're playing each other. So, But, yeah, I mean, there's going to be a lot of quick hooks, you know, and they're going to be able to rely on a lot of relievers. You know, there's probably a handful of teams that really have a full bullpen set in stone. And then there's probably the majority of teams that, that probably are going to rely on the fresh arms from the taxi squad for, for part of the season. So the Rays have been doing that for a long time. And I think a lot of teams might benefit from doing that this way because I think the bullpens are probably going to be, probably for the first time ever, just as or, or maybe more important than the rotations. Uh, and there's been a lot written, too, Sparky, about the fact that these relievers who can come in and uh, pitch maybe a couple of innings at a time are going to be key in this because the starters may not be ready to go six on opening day. I think it would be kind of surprising to many of us if they did. Uh, so there could be even more reliance on somebody who could, uh, Josh James will say, come out, of the bullpen in the fourth or fifth inning and give you two or three. Right. Yeah. And, and I think the Astros actually have a few of those types of pitchers in, in maybe the four that I would think of right now in particular, who are pretty good at getting lefties out too, but it, Chris Davinsky, of course, Austin Pruitt, who, who they got in the off season, Brad Peacock, uh, who's done great things for the Astros and uh, is good against righties and lefties. And, and as you mentioned, Josh James, who can blow people away from both sides of the plate. But uh, when you think about all four of those pitchers, they're not specialists uh, per se, but they're types of pitchers who can go out there for two or three innings. And those, those guys are of great value. When you think about the starting rotation, and we know that the top three would be set if they're healthy, but uh, how, how do you, if you're Dusty Baker and Brent Strom, formulate your fourth and fifth starters now is Jose Urquidy ready to go Austin Pruitt is he the fifth guy is it Josh James is it somebody else you're only going to have a couple of exhibition games so it can't really play out in competition so how do you do that now well barring any setbacks I think Urquidy should be slated or penciled in anyway as the fourth starter I mean he deserved that in the playoffs man he showed uh showed a lot of people a lot you know just his his demeanor, uh, his results, everything you, you put into that, that start in the World Series just meant so much to the team. But uh, it just really showed his his value and his worth to the team. And I think he deserves that fourth spot in the rotation. I think he deserves it. And I think he was pitching well enough in, in the, the first go of spring training in, in West Palm Beach to, to get that first crack at it. And then I think uh, when you're looking at the, the fifth starter, you're thinking of, I think, probably either uh, Austin Pruitt, Josh James, or Framber Valdez. When you, when you look at those three, I, I think if it's pretty even, you, you probably look at who are the two guys that would probably be best out of the bullpen. And if that's the case, I think Josh James is super valuable out of the bullpen. You know, And, and I know he desperately wants to be a starter, but... In this short season, I think he would just be super, 
uh, electric and valuable for, for the Astros, a, a great weapon to be able to use two or three times a week that way. You know, this is not a big deal one way or the other, but I got kind of curious and, and floated a question on social media to the fans about, uh, and, and there's been no talk of this whatsoever, so I just made it up. Should uh, Major League Baseball change the rules for official scorers just for this year only and not require a starting pitcher to work at least five innings to qualify for a win? And the fans didn't think much of that idea. <laughs> oh, so this is definitely nothing that we've seen. But they did get ramped up at one point where we saw some of these pitchers going for uh, close to five innings. I think Scherzer went five innings uh, in a start of the spring training. So if you maintained a little bit of a level, probably regressed just a bit, and be able to ramp up for the next two and a half weeks. You know, I, I don't see why a lot of these starting pitchers especially if they're pitching well, can't go at least four innings in their first start and be able to go five or six innings in their second start. I really think that that would be the case. Now, it depends on pitch count. I, I get that. Or, you know, there's a red flag that goes up when a, when a pitcher throws 25 or 30 pitches in any one inning. So you have to watch out for that. But, man, they're only making 12 starts. You, you want to get the most out of it. And I just feel like so many of these pitchers, and I know the Astros are this way. I mean, these guys are loaded for bear. I think they have a chip on their shoulder. Uh, I think a lot of these pitchers are going to be ready to go five innings early on. Maybe you you pull back the reins on on maybe Lance McCullers just to just because you know he's going to uh, feel adrenaline like he hasn't felt in, in two years, so that's going to be a little different. But for the rest of the guys, I, I'm, I'm, I think they're ready to get pushed a little. Sparky, the great unknown in all this, and the Astros certainly love these big crowds they've had the last few years at home. But we know that's going to be the great unknown, is not having that big crowd. Uh, how do you think that will affect the players? Well, they've done it before. And you think about a lot of these players who, you know, most of these players, it, it kind of grew up in the, in the travel ball, in the showcases uh, where you probably have a handful of parents and maybe a girlfriend or two every once in a while or instructional league or, you know, some minor league ballparks, you know, at the really lower levels on a cold night where, and you can you can hear somebody you know a hundred yards away talking. You can hear conversations, and I, I remember that many times in the minor leagues or in, in spring training. So they've dealt with that before, uh, but to be playing such meaningful games and, and to really need a boost sometimes when, when your when your body's a little sore, you need a little kick in the rear end to to get you over the hump. You rely on that crowd. And they're certainly going to miss it, man. Minute Maid Park, we, we've come to realize, is a great advantage, uh, especially with that roof closed, uh, the noise they make. And I think they've really uh, show, showed uh, to be a very knowledgeable uh, group, too. I mean, the timing uh, that, they, they, that they make uh, so much noise, I think, has is, is helped the team uh, rise to, to different levels, too. And the team, you know, a lot of the players talk about that, too, so... They'll miss it. You know, they'll miss just little interactions. I know as a starting pitcher, you think about popping out of that dugout and you're walking out toward the, the outfield just to start jogging a little bit and stretching before you take your warm-up pitches. Uh, you can hear individual voices, you know, offer encouragement. And you'll miss that too. Sparky, great discussion. And we now have a treat for the fans. We have a portion of an Astros broadcast from October 3rd, 1999. Now, what would Sounds you have familiar. been doing 
on October 3rd, 1999. Any memory of what you were doing at that time? Well, I'm not not sure if the season was over yet, but I was a member of the Anaheim Angels uh, at that point. So we were probably wrapping up the season. I can't remember. We did not go to the playoffs. So I know the Astros did. So uh, if if this is a regular season game, I have a pretty good inkling that uh, this very well might have been uh, what could have been the last game ever at the Astrodome. Am I right? You are right on, my friend, and our producer engineer, Matt Boltz, has uh, steered us into this uh, by procuring uh, one of the great games uh, that I've ever enjoyed broadcasting in Astros history. This was one of my absolute favorite games because, unlike you and Robert, we didn't get to do the postseason on TV. So regular season game with a, a playoff spot on the line, that's about as good as it gets. We had that in 04 and 05 also, and those were right. Great, great fun. But but to take you back to a couple things from 99, the Astros wound up winning. I'll, I'll give away the results since you already know. They won that final day of the season in the final regular season baseball game in the Astrodome. The advertising slogan for the team that year was a year to remember. Wow. And it was. They wound up going 97 and 65, winning the National League Central Division. Mike Hampton, who's going to be pitching in this broadcast, and we have a portion of it uh, coming up, set the club record with 22 wins. He was 22-4 and four with a 290 ERA. What a that? fabulous season. Do you remember watching him uh, from afar? What were your observances of Mike Hampton? You know, I, I watched it. The thing I thought about more than anything was just a – it looked to me like he was throwing darts. You know, he kind of had a, a short arm delivery, but just this, that really uh, tight sinking fastball. So, and he was a great fielder. So not unlike Dallas Keuchel, really, somebody who was a great fielder, a great athlete, who, who relied on his defense quite a bit, but got a lot of grounders, a lot of comebackers, uh, could have a, a five-pitch inning uh, as, easy, as easily as anybody. They could hit. Man, I, can, I just remember Hampton could hit. Uh, and he was fast, uh, but he was a lot of fun to watch. You knew that you were going to have a quick ball game usually, like a Keuchel or a Jose Lima. Mike Hampton was in that conversation too. You know what I remember was the way he got himself in a great fielding position. And as yeah, he really followed through, he got, you, know, you remember he kind of bounced. He, he bounced so both feet were square to the plate, and that's what helped him to become a gold-glove fielder. And, man, was he quick with the glove. He was just an all-around great athlete. He was. I wonder if any of that, you know, that setting with his feet had anything to do with being a real good defensive back in football. I have to think it did. Yeah. yeah I, quick I feet. Too, you know. Quick feet. Yeah. And Jose Lima was 21 and 10 that year. Wow. He was, for me, the ultimate Astrodome pitcher. If you looked at his stats on the road, they were just awful. But <laughs> in the Astrodome, really? he was unbeatable. Just incredible, Sparky. Yeah, I mean, just a lot of fly balls, you know, and I played with him in Detroit at Comerica Park, and this is before they brought in the fences, so he, he was tailor-made for that ballpark, too, just deep fly balls right to the warning track, uh, but he played to that. You know, if he fell behind in the count, he wasn't afraid to throw a, a fastball middle away to a strong right-handed hitter. If they tried to pull it, they weren't going to hit it out of those ballparks. He just knew how to play to to his strengths, and, uh, you know, uh, he was a showman, uh, he was a lot of fun to, to be with, uh, one of my favorite teammates of all time. Uh, but, yeah, tailor-made for the Astrodome and Comerica Park, uh, uh, unlike any other. 
Shane Reynolds won 16 that year. Scott Ellerton was nine and five. Jeff Bagwell's stats, get this, Sparky, 304, 42 homers, 126 runs batted in. Wow, Just a fantastic year. Golly. Yeah. And, you know, bases. Um, you got stolen bases that year? I, I don't have stolen bases, but he probably had at least had 20, 20 or, yeah. or more, yeah. Carl Everett that year, 325, 25 bombs, 108 runs batted in. Boy, that's somebody you don't talk about enough. Man, what a, no. what a hitter. What a hitter. Oh, yeah. Switch hitter, center fielder. Moises yeah. Alou missed that season with a knee injury, and they still won 97 games without one of the best hitters on the team. Oh, that was the old treadmill thing, right? Or whatever it was. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was one version anyway. Yeah. Uh, Ju June 13th of 1999, Larry Durker had a grand mall seizure. Oh, goodness. That was my worst day in baseball. Uh, and uh, and yet, you know, Matt Galati managed the club for about a month. Dirk came back, and they just kept uh, churning away. Billy Spires was playing right field in a game in Milwaukee, and he was attacked by a drunken fan who jumped out of the stands behind him, ran up, and grabbed him. In and, Milwaukee, uh, of all places, the team that drafted him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, great player, and... Uh, uh, well, that was a sorry episode, but that was all a part of 1999. Now, Let me ask you uh, something about Larry Durker real quick. Yeah. So, so that yeah. happened. You said it was the worst day in baseball, and I bet it, it just had to be sickening. But when yeah. did you find out that he was going to be okay? Well, we didn't know, um, and that okay. this is one reason it was my worst day in baseball. Uh, he was one of my best friends. Mm -hmm. Number two, I did not know how to handle it on the air because we didn't have any information. Right. Didn't even know who it was who was who was down on the dugout floor at first. Mm -hmm. We just saw some legs sticking out. And, of course, we were not getting shots of it on TV. Didn't want to dwell on that. Right. So, you know, we just didn't know what to say. We didn't have any information. I was worried about uh, his wife, Judy, maybe watching at home. Didn't know if she was at the ballpark or not or uh, his kids, were they watching? You know, you don't want to say anything alarming that would uh, really cause problems for them. And, oh, what a mess as far as a broadcaster went. And, of yeah. course, the game was suspended. Uh, the ambulance came <clears> onto <throat> the field and took him away to the hospital. He had brain surgery. And uh, Dr. Rob Parrish did a wonderful job. And, and he's still as effervescent as ever right now. But, That's right. boy, was that a concern that day. My goodness. I bet. You know, I, I remember reading an account, you, you know, he had to get half of his head shaved and had stitches in, in his head, but he was playing golf a week later and they wouldn't let him manage for a month. <laughs> That's right. But he was golfing a week later. <laughs> and he, he couldn't drive a car either for months because he had had a seizure. So I had to give him a ride to the ballpark every day. Oh, wow. Because, um, you know, Mike Covage, who was our third base coach, Sure. I uh, was renting a house in Jersey Village, which was only about five minutes from where Larry lived. So Larry could have ridden in with Cubby, but Cubby liked to get to the ballpark at noon. Larry didn't like to get in until about three. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like Davey Johnson. Exactly. <laughs> wow, that's funny. So then the Astros put together during that 99 season a 12-game winning streak, club record. But they could not shake the Cincinnati Reds. During their 12-game winning streak, they gained only a game and a half on the Reds. My so the two of them were tied for first with five games to play. They split a two-game series with each other. They were still tied for first with two games to play. 
And the Mets were also in the wild card race, so they weren't sure that whoever didn't win the division would make the playoffs. Jose Lima beat the Dodgers on Saturday night, three to nothing, to put the Astros in front of the Reds by one game, but they still had to win on Sunday to clinch it. And that set up uh, this Mike Hampton ball game against the starter for the Dodgers. Somebody you probably don't even remember, or you might have played with him, Robinson Checo. Remember him at all? Oh, yeah, I remember the name. He lasted one-third of an inning, gave up one hit, four runs. Oh, and we're going to get to this game in just a minute, Sparky. But before we do, we have to talk about the guy who's going to be our guest, for Alan Ashby and me, on this tape, Joe Necro. We talked about him briefly earlier. But one of the great pitchers in Astros history yeah. and a knuckleballer like a knuckleballer. you. Right. I miss you guys who throw the knuckleball. It gave us so much to talk about. Are we well, ever going to have another knuckleballer? Well, if the, if the baseball stay as hard and slick as they were last year, because Bob Melvin asked me if, he, if I thought I could throw a knuckleball with one of the balls that he was holding in his hand in the dugout. Of course, Bob Melvin's the manager for the A's. So this is before the game. And literally, I would say to you, no. If the balls remain like they were last year, and that was a talk, that was a big conversation last year with all the balls flying out of the park that they may have been wound tighter. Well, I can attest to that because I could not make an impression in in the height of the baseball with my fingernails. It was just so hard. It was like a cue ball. But uh, you know, it, it's a fraternity. There's certainly you know you talk about Joe Necro and Phil Necro, his brother, of course, Hall of Famer, Hoyt Wilhelm, a Hall of Famer. Uh, but I got a chance to know Joe pretty well. Uh, for my four years that uh, that I was with the Detroit Tigers, Joe actually lived in Lakeland, Florida, where we trained for spring training. So I got a chance to to know him, and and he worked with me a lot in, in spring trainings. Uh, so that was a, a thrill of a lifetime to be able to get that kind of hands-on treatment. But of course, Tim Wakefield, R.A. Dickey, you know, uh, Joe, Joe, Charlie Huff, Tom Candiotti, you know, the list goes on. But uh, it, it's a really tight fraternity. So. Uh, to be able to get those types of questions answered for somebody who did it so long and so well as Joe. Uh, and I was probably more of his style than a lot of the other knuckleballers were. Uh, he threw sliders, he threw it a little bit harder, and that was more my style too. You remember a lefty, Wilbur Wood, who threw the knuckler? Of course, yeah. But started both ends of a doubleheader one day with the White Sox, right? Crazy, crazy. Well, Joe, and I, he might have told you this, uh, his brother Phil was his teammate at one point, but they learned the knuckleball from their dad, who would get home from uh, the coal mines in uh, Ohio, and he would throw the knuckleball with them in the backyard. So they both learned it, but Phil gravitated toward it a lot faster than Joe. Joe, as you said, was like you. He threw other pitches, right. and he, 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 was, he was down in his career. He was getting released and the Astros picked him up, and I, I interviewed Phil for that Astros history book we were doing years ago. And I said, well, what did you say to Joe? He said, I told him. Joe said, well, I don't know what I'm going to do now. I'm at that point in my career. I'm not getting anybody out. He said, throw your knuckleball, Joe. You have it. You just don't use it. Uh, you don't use it enough, and that's what turned it around for him. Wow. So the Astros were his fifth big league team in seven seasons. And that was kind of the turnaround. And, and to be honest with you, uh, Phil Necro in 1995 met with Tim Wakefield and, and myself for about three hours at Fenway Park down in the bullpen before batting practices started. And after that conversation, Phil and I were walking back to our clubhouse 
And he said the same thing to me in the outfield as we were walking in. He was saying, you don't throw your knuckleball enough. You need to throw it more. If, if you want uh, uh, to have a career and play for a, a decent amount of time, I was 30 years old too. He said, you need to throw your knuckleball more. A, a hitter needs to go into the box and know that you're throwing or think that you're throwing a knuckleball every pitch. So not only is he a Hall of Fame pitcher, he's a Hall of Fame pitching coach. Yeah, he was he was something. Very nice man. And I'm sure you, you grew to to really enjoy Joe Necro, but very affable. Yes. Very, I mean, just genuine, but just, I mean, really wanted to help. And he would have done anything for me. You know, he, he'd asked me, he said, you know, if, I, if, if I'm telling you too much, you, you know, let me know. I know sometimes that can cloud uh, your brain, but, I, you know, I, I'm excited for you. And I, I think that uh, some of these things we're, we're doing uh, can really help. Uh, by the time he left the Astros and was traded for Jim Deshays, by the way, to, to, to the Yankees, right? <laughs> yes. And he was the winningest pitcher in franchise history at that point. And, you know, it's fitting that he joins Alan Ashby and me, and we keep saying it's coming. It's coming, folks. We're just into it for a few more minutes. But uh, we remember back to 1980. The Astros had a three-game lead on the Dodgers for the NL West with three games to go. They went to L.A. They got swept. Now they have a one-game playoff to see who goes on to meet the Phillies in the NLCS. Mm. And Joe Necro is the pitcher. So after the third game, and they were all close games, they get on the bus at Dodger Stadium. They're going to the hotel. Mm. Necro, whose nickname was Nuxy, right. got on the bus. It was very quiet. And he said, don't worry about tomorrow, <clears throat> guys. I got this. And did he ever. And wow. Art Howe hit a big home run. They beat the Dodgers. But... Uh, Necro was clutch that day. He was clutch in a lot of his career. And so that's why it was fitting that he was on hand for that same kind of uh, playoff or not playoff scenario for the Astros with Hampton. How crazy is that? That's pretty cool. And, you know, I love hearing that. The, the indoors uh, is good for knuckleballs. He, he probably just came to the, the right place at the right time. But uh, 11 years as a Houston Astro, and he's one of the best of all time. And, you know, a little overlooked maybe, you know, when, when you talk about Nolan and, of course, J.R. Richard and Roy Oswalt and Dallas Cock. I mean, you, you can go on and on with Verlander and Cole, but uh, Joe Necro, uh, I mean, he's right there in that conversation with one of the best Houston Astros pitchers of all time. Well, let's reminisce a little bit. Uh, this game was aired last Friday on the Astros' flagship station. Here's a portion of it. Final game of the season, regular season, 1999, October 3rd, 1999. Mike Hampton on the mound, top of the fourth inning, and here's Alan Ashby. We're back at the Dome. It's 5-1 Astros. We played three, and Bill Brown is the man of the hour. Ash, you're the man of the hour. You're going to be honored with that all-Astros team after the game. That's a special day for you, isn't it? It's going to be a lot of fun. I, I've already got more emotional today than I anticipated, really. Just getting to see a lot of the old teammates, some of the folks that, that I've played with and, and seen through the years, and, uh, uh, and the thoughts about moving on from this building. And this building is always at its best when it's filled like this. I think it just brings out a lot in everybody. Doesn't it, though? And it's just a great environment today. People came in here exuberant, expecting good things, and they've seen good things. It's 5-1 to one Astros as the fourth inning gets underway with Adrian Beltre batting against Mike Hampton. Beltre struck out in the second inning. Pirates and Mets tied 1-1 after six in New York. Chris Benson got out of a bases loaded jam in the bottom of the sixth. Here's Hampton winding and delivering. There's a swing and a bouncer on one hop to Caminetti. 
His throw is out number one. Five to three on Beltre. Well, more of those one pitch outs. That's what Mike Hampton needs right now. He has struggled. He walked a couple in the second inning, another in the third. He's thrown a wild pitch. He's fanned six. It's been an up or down day for him. He's only allowed two singles so far. Strange day with the Astros scoring five runs on two hits themselves. Trinidad Hubbard bats next. He struck out in the second inning. Here's the pitch to him. It's strike one call. 0 oh and 1 to Trinidad Hubbard. Check it out, Brownie, what we've got in the booth. Joe Nick's here. Joe Necro. Great to see him again. And the pitch, swing and a miss, 0 oh and 2. I didn't get to see Nuxie earlier. I mentioned some of the guys I had run into earlier on in the day, but, but a lot of incredible memories that we've had together in this building. With that flutter ball dancing and you trying to battle it. And Joe Necro set that club record with 21 wins. Here's the 0-2 pitch. Trinidad Hubbard couldn't stop himself. He went around and struck out. Joe, good to see you again, and uh, great to have you back in the dome. Well, thanks, Brownie. But I, I don't think that record's going to last too much longer today. <laughs> Mike's throwing a great game, and uh, the Astros are playing well. This might bring back some very happy times for you. And we were talking uh, about that series in 1980, the final series, regular season there in L.A. when you had to play that one-game playoff and won that one. And what might have been if you hadn't had to pitch that day and got to pitch against the Phillies instead. Paul LaDuca takes ball one, but you've got to lead with your best. Well, you know, a lot of great memories, and like you said, the, the game at Dodger Stadium was probably the best one, and uh, unfortunately we didn't get to the World Series, but we, we had a great series against Philly. LaDuca takes a ball, two balls, no strikes. Now, your son is quite a ball player. How's he doing? Lance is doing great. Uh, he had a he had a great summer up in Cape Cod. He got the MVP of the league and just about won a triple crown. And uh, from last year to this year, his status went sky high. That's terrific. I'm very proud of him. There's the next pitch to Paul Laduca. Ball three, three balls and no strikes. Now you've been in this environment many times, pitching before a packed house here, pressure type game. Here's the 3-0 to Paul Laduca. He takes a strike, three and one. That's something you remember forever, isn't it? Oh, definitely. It's, uh, you know, you just can't wait for the game to start. You sit around in the morning and uh, you get the butterflies. But once the game starts, uh, you get down to business and uh, just hopefully you can pitch your ball game. Popped up foul. Bagwell up the right field line and Biggio behind him. Biggio takes it. We're out number three. We're visiting with Joe Necro. We'll talk some more with him in the middle of the fourth inning. It's the Astros five, the Dodgers one. Now this from your local station. Houston leads it over Los Angeles five to one. Each club has a couple of hits. The Astros have the only error. Joe Necro joining us. The Astros lead it five to one. Ricky Gutierrez leads it off in the home fourth inning against Matt Hergis. Gutierrez fly to right field in the first inning. He was the first man Hergis faced in relief of the starter Robinson Checo. Pitch is grounded to third. Knocked down by Beltre. He has plenty of time and zips a throw over to Carroll's for out number one. Brownie, if anybody ever wanted a great thrill in their life, I would suggest getting behind the plate with Joe Negro on the mound, throwing that knuckleball toward him. And it was amazing that, especially in this building, when you get a lot of people in here, Joe really had the best of all his knuckleballs. Yeah, I would think so, Ash. I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was the, the warm air in here or not. I always had a good one in here, and I could control it more than outside. But uh, when it was, I had a lot of big crowd here, it seemed like it was a little bit better. Strike one to Mike Hampton. Now, Hampton has come after you in the hitting department, too, Nuxie. With 22 hits this year. Here's the 0-1 pitch, and it's a strike call. 0-2. Oh, he does it all, doesn't he? He's good. Look, 
the, the first time I seen Mike pitch was when I come out this year and throw out the first ball and when he pitched against Cleveland and I was really impressed with him really really impressed. Oh two coming Hampton takes strike three he's down for out number two. See I would have swung at that pitch Brown. <laughs> I would hit that pitch out right there I wouldn't have took that pitch. <laughs> you know I remember Nuxie playing a little bit of left field for us one night in a in a late overtime game. No. He was an amazing athlete. Did he run him down? I don't remember it? that Ash. <laughs> <laughs> I remember getting a, a, a double to win the game in the 17th inning one time when 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 Verd was out of pitchers. But hey, don't change the story from the way I put it out there. <laughs> it was left field. I think it was. You're right. At. <laughs> I think I stole three bases that yes, game you did. too. <laughs> the yarns are getting longer and longer. Greg Biggio took a call third strike in the first. He walked in the second inning. Five one Astros. In the home fourth with two outs, nobody on. Matt Hergis in relief of Robinson Checo delivers. And it's upstairs. Biggio went for it though. 0 and 1. I'll give you another favorable comparison with Mike Hampton. Joe Negro, and a lot of people didn't know it, was one of the best defensive pitchers in all of the National League when he pitched. Thank you, Ash. I appreciate that. Your brother sure used was. to get a lot of acclaim for that, but I'll tell you what, nobody was quicker than Joe on the mound. It was funny you mentioned that. I didn't think I made an error in three years and didn't win a gold club. So I don't. I, wow. I couldn't figure that out. But that's amazing. Ball inside, one ball, one strike. You guys grew up in uh, what, Lansing, Ohio? Yeah, right, Lansing, Ohio. One ball, one strike to Biggio outside. That was right ball. next to Piney Fork, Ohio. If you don't know where Lansing is, <laughs> <laughs> everybody knows Piney Fork. Started fooling around with that pitch in the backyard at some point, and man. What a future. 2 1 pitch to Biggio, a strike call. We don't see many knuckleball pitchers anymore, of course, but the ones who can master it still can find a pretty nice living for themselves, can't they? Well, I would think so. And, you know, the thing is, Brownie, you're only as good as your catcher, and I just happen to have one of the, the best knuckleball catchers that I've, I was forced to have to pitch to in Ashby. It really was. Line drive right field into the corner. Biggio going for another double, and he'll have it. Biggio, a stand up double. His 56th of the year as he extends his own club record. That's the way we want to see Vigios hit the ball. The opposite way, he'll get a lot hotter. And we saw him midseason in Arizona really turn it on by going the other way. And by the way, Joe Necro is way too kind. I was more of a goalie behind the plate with him, but just tried to battle and keep it in front. Well, Ash, now, wait a minute now. When you got traded over from Toronto, I believe it was, to, to Houston, we was in spring training at Cocoa Beach. I met you, and the first thing you said to me was, where's the big load? He said, let's go to work. And to me, that gives me confidence in the guy who's going to call the game for me. Yeah. And that, that gave me a lot of confidence. That wasn't the first thing I said. That came right after saying, how did I miss that pitch with my regular glove? And then I said, where's the big load? Dan Javier, the batter, strike one call to him. Outside corner, he walked and scored in the first, struck out in the second. Yeah, a lot of uh, catchers, after a deal like that, would probably say, uh, Where's my backup catcher? Because he's going to be catching you. <laughs> you know, one of the, the funny moments, Bill Verdon had kind of put it on with this ball club. In a clubhouse meeting, he said something about we were going to get Phil Necro in a trade. Here's the 0-1 coming. Javier takes strike. And, and the gist of the whole meeting was trying to get Ashton was, was passing me. out. Yeah, he was trying to get me to pass out because we were going to have two knuckleball pitchers in the oh, same rotation, two of no. the greatest of all time. Wow. And he saw I was Ash and White sitting there and just about to drop to the floor and he finally <laughs> let on. <laughs> no balls and two strikes to Javier. 5-1 Astros in the fourth. 
There's the stretch by Hergis. The Dodger right-hander checks Biggio off second. Now kicks and deals the 0-2, and it's high for a ball. Well, it's just a great day, though, with all you guys coming back. Joe, and I, I think the Astros players feel that special kind of pressure to win for you today, too. Well, I was just happy to see him win yesterday because you know they couldn't lose it the last game in, in the Dome. And uh, I was really pulling for him yesterday to come through. And even if they lose today, which they're not going to, they still got another day. So, But uh, it's going to be a good day here today. And like I said, to bring back a lot of fond memories and get to see a lot of great friends. Swing and a miss, a strikeout. Thanks for joining us, Joe. Have a great time today. No Thank you, Brandon. There we go. Now the crowd's starting to get the Houston Astros thing going. Uh, I think they're doing three Pete Astros. I'd have to say back in 1980, 81 as well, and 1986, hearing the crowd really get that chant going was one of the most amazing memories I have as a player here. Everybody's up in here. Now the fans are letting it loose. Rice bulbs going everywhere. Here's the pit. He struck him out. Game is over. Astros win. Astros beat the Dodgers. It's another Central Division crown for the Houston Astros. And let the fun begin. That was then. This is now 2020. That was 21 years ago, Sparky. But uh, it wouldn't be at all shocking to see 2020 come down to that final day of the season for a playoff spot either, would it? No, I, I think you're exactly right. You know, with the 60-game schedule, and hopefully that schedule comes out uh, really soon, and it sounds like it's going to, that uh, you know, I don't think anybody's going to run away from any of the other teams in, in these divisions. There's a lot of quality teams. Uh, but that last game at the Astrodome, 1999, weren't sure if that was the last day you were going to get a chance to, uh, to go in there. So I think that was probably really cool for you, Brownie, to be able to experience that day uh, with so many uh, legendary uh, former Astros there. Uh, but, to, but to call that game with Ash and having so many people come through the booth, I bet you guys, uh, it was a little bittersweet, but knowing that uh, you're going to see a few more games there, I bet was neat. You know, what really made it even more special, Sparky, is that uh, there was a gentleman on hand with his band to play a concert, a post-game concert in the Astrodome. No kidding. After uh, Mike Hampton and Craig Biggio rode around on their motorcycles with their cigars on the field, uh, Willie Nelson took the field and he said, really? turn out the lights, the party's over. Let's call it a night. Heart is over, and tomorrow will start the same damn thing again. <laughs> and, and you had your iPhone all set, and you got you got a perfect video, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the iPhone was wow. all set. Great memory. Were you getting goosebumps when that was taking place, Brownie? What got me was when the confetti came came fluttering uh, down like uh, Joe Necro's knuckleball and yours from the ceiling. Um, the place was just magical that day. 52,000 plus fans, imagine that. Uh, just roaring, sparky, one of my favorite days in Astros history. We talked to a lot of people who experience a, a lot of great things at the Astrodome, so it's just one of many, right? One of many. And uh, more memories in the making. Before long, you and Robert are back on the air with Astros baseball, so thanks everybody. For enjoying us, Bill Brown and Steve Sparks, so long for this 
Astropod. See you later! Whether it's at the ballpark or at home. That ball's smoked <laughs> to center field. Big moments can happen anywhere, anywhere. Thanks to all the frontline workers. Thanks to those sacrificing now. Soon we can cheer together. Together. Stay safe, Houston. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.